Hi, this is Viv, and you're listening to a new episode of If I Did, You Can Too. The guest that I have for you guys today is a journalist who covered many riots. He even covered a war. And the story you're going to hear, the whole story you're going to hear today, is crazy. So get your mind ready. And even I believe there has to be a warning right here just because there is very graphic story right there from the war and from the riots and from the time that he was working as a journalist. So make sure you're going in this with a prepared mind. But I know by the end of it, you're going to be mind blown and you're going to follow him wherever on whatever platform. Before going to the story, I want to quickly thank you guys for commenting and rating us on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much for reaching out. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. Okay, now, why don't we get inspired? Okay, so we have Daron right here with us. Daron, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Daron. I'm from Canada, ethnically Armenian. And right now I'm in Malaysia speaking to Vi- Vivian. Yeah, you can call me whatever you want. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> I only call it whatever you want. <laughs> okay, Daron, let's see. When I was talking to you before this recording... You told me that you were born in Canada, and then for some reason that you're going to explain right now, you had to go to Armenia, and then from Armenia, you went to all of these different places. Go ahead and start the story of your life. Yeah, sure. Okay, so like you mentioned, right? So uh, I was born in Canada uh, at an age of nine. Uh, my parents decided to leave everything they had in Canada, like businesses you know friends family and they're like you know what this is like go back to armenia because you know like i mentioned i'm ethnically armenian so and they wanted to go back to armenia so they're like okay we're gonna sell everything we're gonna take the kids and go to armenia and we did in 2001 uh we moved to armenia and it was a huge huge culture shock for me and my sister because like canada we had like everything for us there was a kid, like everything was in English. We had movies, cartoons, uh, friends, family. And then we went to Armenia that, you know, didn't have English movies or cartoons. It was everything was in Russian because it, you know, Armenia used to be part of the Soviet Union. And then when, you know, Soviet Union collapsed, they got the independence and everything was in Russian there. So, and we couldn't go, we couldn't watch TV. Uh, we also spoke a different dialect of Armenia, Armenian. When we were in Canada, we spoke, uh, Eastern Armenian. In Armenia, they speak Western Armenian. So we got to learn the dialect. And for me, that was a huge issue because I'm also dyslexic. So I cannot pronounce words sometimes properly. Hopefully it won't happen during the podcast, but, <laughs> uh, I can't pronounce stuff properly or I can't read things. I see letters differently, like B as a D or O as an N sometimes so it was a huge struggle for me to you know get with the culture understand the people and being there uh so yeah it was it was a really ballsy move for my parents to do as well because you know they had the per- they had like the canadian dream life you know the middle cl- like upper middle class they had their own jewelry business and they're like f it like we're gonna go to armenia that doesn't even have a proper government at the time still doesn't but that's a whole different story uh and like this take everything like packed like we literally packed everything into a container and shipped it to armenia that's like that's how ballsy my parents were 
Okay, so you started your life in Armenia. Did you start going to school there or? No, no. So I went to school in Canada at grade three. I moved to Armenia, uh, right? And then so I just continued my high school high school there. And because I'm dyslexic, I couldn't go to I didn't go to university because I just couldn't do freaking like physics or like science. And my my Armenian was horrible, so like I wasn't passing my Armenian grades. That alone go to university. So uh, because I'm dyslexic, I I'm very creative as well. So my mom was like, you know what? Screw university. Fuck it. Don't go to it. I think my mom thinks everybody's an artist. So she's like, she just gave me a camera. She bought me a camera and she knew this photographer uh, who was Armenia's best, one of the Armenia's best sports photographers. And she just like tied me with him and said, you're going to teach my son. And he was like, sure. So I just like, and this guy, he was like an old school, like tough, badass person. Like he was, he wasn't nice to me because he knows my mom. He was like a ruthless dictator with me. Like he's like, you, you fucked up. Like why did he, why do you take a bad picture like this? Or why do you just take so many pictures? Which was great because it kind of toughened me up with like, and learning how to, like, how to take pictures properly. And so I became a sports, a sports photographer. So I was taking a lot of photo- uh, photos of, you know, football games and you know any sporting events and then i applied to a news agency because you know sport was fun but i wasn't getting paid that well pretty much nothing <laughs> so i was like you know i want to get a job so i applied for the uh, for a news agency uh in armenia called uh civilnet it was a, it was still very new uh, media it was like an online media uh it was an online media so yeah, and back then, you know, there wasn't like Facebook media, right? It was this, it was CNN, BBC, or, you know, The Guardian and New York Times. Uh, that was the, the classic news agencies. So it was really cool to try something else different. And they accepted me. And that's where my photojournalistic, photojournalistic career started. Uh, taking photos of, you know, like any news cycles. And Armenia was very, very prominent to having protests like every other day there was some protest going on so there was a lot of riots and protesting happenings that i will cover and i just loved it because it's like it was a huge adrenaline rush being there and i'm a adrenaline junkie like i like to do things that get me pump pumping with the adrenaline so it was a lot of fun and uh met a lot of amazing people uh became friends with he he became chief of police of the city eventually and I, he knew me very well before he became chief of police. Like every time there would be a protest, he would be like, Oh, hey, Daron, how are you? And he would like, we'll always like have a conversation. So it was, and it was very small country too. Armenia is very small. And the city that the capital of Yerevan is also very small. So everybody knows everybody. So what was happening? I'll go to a protest and I'll be like saying hi to the protesters who are about to like throw some shit at the police. And I'll say hi to the police who are about to like get ready. I like the middleman type of person. So it was always a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, uh, and then from there, I did that for almost five years. I was doing that for five years. And, uh, the biggest, the biggest break, like the biggest, like, news cycle that I was able to take part of at the time was, uh, when I went to Turkey for a few months, uh, back in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. It was the Gezi riots and it was really big international news back then. Uh, because it was the first time that the opposition in Turkey who hated each other decided to unite 
and they had built like a little mini city within Istanbul, which was crazy. It was beautiful. I remember when I went there uh, because they uh, what they did was they pushed the police out and they created like a little mini city with barricades and like burnt cars. And they had like their own little police and security who were passing by, making sure everybody was like behaving. They had like a library. They had like a, uh, they had like a medical center. It was chaos. It was crazy. It was really awesome. It was really funny too, because you'll have the, the communists next to the fascists, next to the capitalists and they're right, right next to each other and they have their symbols, right? And they're all like, united against uh, Erdogan at the time so it was really bizarre experience really cool but man those riots were something else <laughs> um yeah so I was there for three months uh and when I went there for the first time because I'd covered so many protests in Armenia I was like yeah I'm gonna be like cocky I'm gonna be like yeah, I can do this is nothing I'm, I'm like I'm the fucking boss you know I can take pictures of wherever I go and I went there and there was a whole different level there, like the atmosphere level was a hundred times higher in the sense of like the intense moments there. Uh, you know, in Armenia, like someone will touch someone's shoulder and they're, ah, you're breaking my arm. Stop it. There, they were shooting fireworks at each other and like no one was complaining. Like Molotov cocktails being thrown and shit. So the first day when I, you know, I'm on the street and I'm in the middle again between the protesters and the, uh, uh riot police. And people are chanting, screaming, uh, and stuff like that. All of a sudden, the police start firing water cannons at the crowd, right? So I lift my camera, take a picture, and I can't click. My legs are shaking. I'm, like, scared shitless. Like, I'm scared. Like, I'm, like, because it's such a huge uh, moment for me because it was, like, a big protest. It was outside of Armenia. So it was my first, out like, out-of-the-country work doing covering a riot. So I had to, like, walk away a little bit and be, like, all right, man, like, stop being a bitch. Go out there and take your fucking pictures and do it. You know what I mean? So I, like, pep, pep talk myself uh, to go out there. And I, uh, I I was eventually able to go. But I got pepper sprayed and tear gassed, which is fun. <laughs> For me, that's fun. <laughs> For me, I had, like, a blast. Uh, but, yeah, it was a really crazy experience. It was so much fun being there. Uh, and it was, like, cat and mouse. Like, the police will like disperse the crowd. The crowd will run away. The police will keep going forward and out of corners and out of like little buildings. People will come back, put another barricade up, light it on fire and start screaming and shouting. And the police will turn around and start. It was like a crazy experience. Oh, my goodness. I we never actually talked about this before. So this is the first time that I'm hearing this. About this. Yeah, this is the first time that I'm hearing this as well. I'm like, yeah, wow, yeah. OK. Uh, I know that Turkey was not the only country that you went to. That's right. Yeah. So, Actually, yeah. my friends call me nomads <laughs> mm -hmm. because uh, so from again, so from Canada to Armenia, to Armenia to Turkey and Turkey back to Armenia and then from Armenia to America. So I was in America for a year uh, living in Michigan. Uh, and then from America, I went back to Canada and then from Canada, I went back to Armenia and then from Armenia, I went to Qatar uh, uh which is like in the Middle East, whoever doesn't know. Uh, and then from Qatar, I went to Malaysia. Well, that's where I met you. Uh, and, and now I'm in Malaysia and planning to go back to Canada. Mm -hmm. Why did you go to America after coming back from Turkey? Well, <laughs> it's funny because I actually went to America because at the time, my girlfriend got a, uh, into university in America. 
And me being stupid and, you know, leaving everything, I chased after her. I was like, oh, I'm going to come with you. I'm going to go to America, like, without a visa, without a work visa. I, I can go to, I can go to America for six months at a time and just as a tourist, but I can't work there. I'm not legally allowed to work. But my dumbass is like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to America and I'm going to like work <laughs> behind a table and be a photographer and, you know, get cash payments and stuff. I was broke as fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> when I went there. Uh, and like, it was bad. Um, but yeah, I decided to go after her, which and because of that, we broke up because, you know, we were having money issues. Like we were living off McDonald's because we're so poor. At some point, we even donated blood to get some money to be able to buy stuff. It was yeah, like our dinners were uh, rice and sour cream. Okay. <laughs> and with some salsa on the top, just to give a little bit of flavor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, my America experience wasn't great. And I was also in Michigan, but I wasn't even in the main cities in Michigan. I was in a city called Grand Rapids, which is like in the middle of Detroit in Chicago. So basically, there was nothing there. There's no job opportunity nothing interesting to do it was like a boring little city town it was a town i, I don't want to call it a city it was a town and uh, yeah then i was like okay i need to go to canada because like this is this desperate i have no money i need to make some money at least i can work in canada so i was like okay i'm gonna go to canada and then we'll figure it out right i went to canada and she was like when are you gonna come back to visiting i'm like yeah i'm not coming back i, I i'm done i can't I just, it was such a bad experience. Like for me, like I will never, like I just broke up with her and I was like, I, I'm not coming back. I can't like it's, so I got a really like shitty job in Canada just to make some, uh, just to make some money. So then I can go back to Armenia, <laughs> uh, which was a great, which was a life experience wise. Like it's amazing because I got to learn a lot, uh, learn, uh, what I need to do, what not shouldn't I do. Uh, because I was like, I was a kid when I, when I was like, yeah, I was a kid when I went to America thinking I can, I can get a job. Like it's nothing. Right. But realistically, it's not, not like, that's not how life is. That's how, that, that's not how it works. So yeah. Uh, after Canada, I went back to Armenia and then I got a job, uh, for a, uh, really cool company called PixArt. Uh, not, not the animation company that a lot of people confuse it with <laughs> because every time I talk to people, I work at PixArt. They say, Oh my God, you work for PixArt? I'm like, no, no, pix art. Like, it's like a photo, photo, uh, app, uh, which actually. But even pix art is super now famous. Now it's super famous. Yeah. yeah. Now it's huge. Yes. It, they became a unicorn company with a billion dollar valuation. Yes. When I joined, actually, they were only had, if I'm not mistaken, like roughly 60 million monthly active users. Now they're like 160 million monthly active users and growing rapidly. So, um, I joined them. Not as a photographer, <laughs> because like photography was not making me money. So I started from zero. I decided to be like, okay, you know what? I need to start from zero. And, uh, I started as a support, uh, technical support agent, uh, which uh, whoever knows in IT is kind of like the lowest tier, <laughs> uh, uh, where people just come, who just come out of university who have zero work experience go to. So I was like, you know what? I need to start from zero, which I did. Uh, so I joined their technical support agent. Worked my way up all the way to product manager, uh, for their lifecycle growth marketing. Um, uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm done with media, right? I'm like, you know what? No more media. I don't want to be part, uh, photo journalist anymore. I, I love it. It's my hobby, but I don't want to do anything with news. And then 
while I'm working at Pixar, uh, I get contacted. I, I, I meet someone from Al Jazeera. Uh, and whoever doesn't know Al Jazeera, it's like this huge media outlet, like world famous. Uh, and they're like, Hey, we have a, we have a position open in Al Jazeera. And when I was a photojournalist, that was one of my dreams is to be working for Al Jazeera or Vice News. And I'm, I'm already in Pixar, right? I'm good. Like I'm, I'm, you know, middle, middle management level, uh, you know, position. I'm making good money for Armenia. I'm, I'm good. But then my dream, my, my past dream job company comes knocking to my door. They're, they're like, Hey, we have a job offer. You want to come? I was like, fuck, what do I do now? So. I, I was like, when I told myself, like, when do I get the opportunity to work for my dream job? Right. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. So I, I just quit. Two weeks later after quitting, I went to Doha. Uh, I went to Al Jazeera for like a year and a year and two, three months or so. And it was a crazy, crazy experience because I was working in a, uh, as a video editor uh, because I had video editing experience as well. And it was my job to also kind of censor the things that were going to be broadcast live. So, which means, uh, and for people who don't know, Al Jazeera is one of those news agencies who kind of show more graphic images compared to CNN who, and BBC who are more like, ooh, can't show anything, you know, remotely dangerous or you know, gruesome. Uh, Al Jazeera does, but they blur it. And it was my job to blur that stuff. Uh, and so we, I would see some really, horrendous shit things that you wouldn't want to see like my first month in al jazeera uh sri lanka had uh, the christmas attacks in sri lanka a few a few years back i think 300 people died a month in in al jazeera that happens and i'm getting flooded with images of people's body parts all over the churches like children just dead like horrible shit and it was your job to like to figure out, okay, what can we blur and what can we show? So we, we couldn't be like, oh, can't look at it. You know, like, not, we had to like stare at it, see if it's too gruesome or not, and then blur it out. So like, it kind of screws you up a little bit because you kind of dehumanize yourself to be able to do that job or else you go crazy. Uh, so I was there for like a year and three months and my, uh, now my wife, back then my girlfriend was living in Malaysia. Uh, and I was like, you know, I need to get out. This is like not good for me. And I, and I want to go, I want to be with her. So, uh, but I knew from my past, past mistake, I'm not going to pack my shit and just go to another country for, for my girlfriend. And I've actually told her that too. I'm like, I'm like, I am not going to come to Malaysia unless I get a job. You, if I get a job, I'm coming. If not, do not even think about me coming. Like, I'll come visit. Of course I'll come visit, but no way in hell I'm moving. Um, and then lucky and uh, luckily enough, um, there was a position opened up in, uh, Mine uh, Valley where she worked at, uh, which was suitable for me uh, because I also used to do YouTube and I'm also a content specialist, uh, because of Al Jazeera because I'm part of content. So, and creating content and, um, there was an op- opening it for the YouTube team and she said, Hey, do you want to apply for this? And I was like, yes, please, because it was coming to a point in Al Jazeera that we were, we needed to laugh at some gruesome stuff to be able to cope with it. Like, uh, I think I told you the story. Uh, the, the moment when I realized I need to leave Al Jazeera was when, uh, America assassinated an Iranian general, high level general. 
And so I was at Al Jazeera when that happened. So we got the breaking news. Uh, and so we're looking at footages. And every footage we're looking at is just too gruesome to show. It was really, really bad. And, uh, and I'm eating a turkey sandwich while doing this and not being phased by it. Okay. And then we see a shot of some of people carrying a body bag. So it's, it's a body bag. So it's not too gruesome and that's okay to show. So like, Oh, finally, after like 30 shots, this one we can use. And as soon as I say, Oh, great, we can use this. And I'm saying it out loud next to me is the producer. Some guy goes out of frame, grabs something because you can tell his hand goes a little bit down, comes back into frame with the hand and in his hand is a leg. It's like a foot and a leg. And we start laughing hysterically. Uncontrollable laughter. And then we start laughing for maybe like 30 seconds we're laughing. And then we all stop laughing because someone else came in and started laughing into this because we just, we're just not human anymore. Like we don't, you have to dehumanize yourself. We stop laughing and I look at them and I'm like, yeah, I need to get the fuck out of this place. <laughs> like I need to leave <laughs> like immediately. Uh, so luckily enough, like a, like a couple weeks later after that moment, uh, Shushan, my wife, uh, who you also did a podcast with, uh, she sent me the job, a job, uh, offering from Mind Valley. So I applied, I got it and I was like, peace. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out of this shithole. I need to go like this. Oh, it wasn't a shithole. Actually, Qatar is a beautiful place and people are great, but the job wasn't there. Like the job wasn't good. So I was like, I'm out. So I went to Malaysia and yeah, uh, moved, yeah, moved to Malaysia. But then something happened. So when I got to know you, we've known each other for over a year right now. Since the very beginning that I joined the company, you were actually that you were one of the right. first people that I met online, of course. And then the war happened. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I had already moved to Malaysia and me and Shushan were having dinner and I opened my phone and I look at my phone and it says, uh, Azerbaijan has invaded Armenia. And, uh, so people who don't know, uh, Armenia has a really toxic relationship with their neighbors, especially with Azerbaijan. In 1991, there was a war that broke out after the collapse of the Soviet Union for uh, an enclave in uh, uh, called uh, Artsakh. We call it Artsakh. They call it Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, where it's mostly mostly ethnic Armenians living there. But because of the Soviet Union and because of Stalin divide and conquer, they he gave that land to Azerbaijan to to basically like divide us, to be able to control us. Uh, so after the fall of 90, uh, the Soviet Union, there was a war that broke out in 91 and, um, Armenia won that war and they took parts of Artsakh and also a couple, uh, surrounding areas as a buffer zone. Uh, and so it was basically like a 30 year, like cold war situation until, uh, September 2020, uh, Azerbaijan attacked. Uh, and started a war, a full, a full scale war. And, um, because there were some skirmishes before, there would be like a four day war or like a, a day skirmish here and there, but nothing to this level, nothing to the uh, level that was, uh, happening because they were using tanks, artillery, drones, aircraft. It was a, it was a full scale war at this time. And, uh, at first me and Shushan, we didn't know what to do. Um, we didn't know like, what can we do, right? Like we're in Malaysia. This is happening in Armenia. Is this going to be a one day, three day thing? Or is this an actual full scale 
war. So after a few days passed by and we realized like, no, this is actually, um, this is actually going to be like a really full scale, long term battle that's going to happen. Um, war is going to happen. We decided to be like, okay, we need to leave. We need to go back home. We need to be with our families because my best friend was in the front lines. My brother-in-law was in the front lines. Sushan's uh, cousin's husband was in the front lines. Uh, so we're in Malaysia and we needed, we like, oh no, we need to be with family. Uh, we need to be with our family. We need to be there. Uh, my mom also had a, uh, has a news agency in Armenia. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to help her. I'm going to go to the Artsakh to help her cover the footage because I didn't want my mom to go. Not that I have experience in war or anything like that, but I've been to riots. So I know how to kind of similar, like to be safe to a certain extent, but obviously like nowhere to this level. So, um, so we, we, after four days, five days into the war, we, we bought our tickets, uh, for October 3rd, I think, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken or something like that. And we just packed everything like straight, quickly packed everything and we went home. Um, and then a week in, uh, not even a week, a few days after getting home, I went to Artsakh, uh, where the whole, where that was the main conflict was happening. It wasn't happening in Armenian sovereign territory because technically Artsakh isn't within Azerbaijan sovereign territory internationally. So that was where most of the conflict was happening. So Armenia relatively was safe, but the, the enclave was not, uh, so we had to go through military checkpoints. There was a lot of questioning. Why are you going? Who are you? Are you allowed? To, are, are, what, because they weren't allowing non-citizens of Armenia going. And I'm not technically a citizen of Armenia. I'm a resident of Armenia. Uh, but as soon as we saw, showed our press badges saying, no, we're press. We have foreign, the foreign ministry has given us permission. So we will go through. And it was a really eerie experience and like crazy experience because, uh, in the beginning when we were there, the city, the main city, uh, the capital of the enclave called Stepanagerd, that's where uh, we were stationed. Uh, the lights would turn off. They would turn off all the lights because, uh, so for drones or aircraft not to be able to spot the city easily, even though they had, you know, uh, night vision and infrared cameras, but still that was like, it's, they would turn off all the lights. So you'll be in a major city, huge city, and it'll be pitch black and quiet. It was, a crazy crazy experience uh and then you know we will get air raids all the time like every few hours there'll be an air raid so we'll quickly put our uh you know our 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 uh vests on our helmets and we'll go to the bunkers but after like the fifth or sixth time that happens you just don't do, you don't bother going to like to the bunkers anymore and especially because we're journalists we were there we were trying to also capture the moment because i saw with my like i'm like I saw with my own eyes, like maybe like 10 drones being shot in the air while I was in Stefan Aguirre. Um, you'll just be, like, we'll be, we'll be outside. Uh, people will be smoking or having a coffee or drinking and talking. And all of a sudden we'll hear like a big boom. We'll look up. We'll see a big flash of red because they shot something in the air. Like the air defense has shot something and the air raids will start. And a lot of people who are, who are new journalists, there's always be like, you can always tell who the new journalists are and who the old ones are. The old one will be sitting outside, like drinking, smoking and talking and stuff. And the siren to go off, they'll, they won't move. They'll just look up, put their helmet on and take out their phones or their cameras and like point it up in the air and try to film it. The other ones will just run to the buildings and stuff. Um, because you just get used to that, to those moments. Um, which is really weird because it is, 
it's really interesting as well because your body adapts really quickly to that. Uh, like your mind is scared. Like you know, like where you are is a scary situation, but you're not, you're not running for cover. You're not trying to, like, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain because, uh, I, I mean, the, one of the, one of the things I can maybe, uh, try to explain was, um, we were in, uh, the, another city called Shushi, which is like, I think like five kilometers away from the, from Stepan again. And there was a lot of kamikaze drones being used by the uh, Azerbaijani side, which basically it's like, it's a drone that looks, finds a target and dives and hits, like blows up basically. That's why they're called kamikaze drones. But what they had installed was, um, an air raid on it. So it will, uh, I'm sure you, uh, you've heard it like, or you've seen it in movies in World War II when the Nazi planes would dive, you hear like this really unique sound of an engine. Uh, that was, they had installed those on their kamikaze drone as like a mental, uh, mental warfare game, like to mentally screw up people. Cause as soon as you hear it, you know, like it's coming, like you're in the kill zone basically. Um, but it's so freaking loud that even if it hits three to four kilometers away, you think it's coming straight on to you. And which happened to me because I was on the street. Uh, we were there because uh, the day before the city was shelled. So we're there covering the damage, seeing if anybody was killed, trying to find people to talk to. So we were on the street and all of a sudden my friend Eric was like, Donald, do you hear that? I'm like, no, I don't hear anything. Right. And then, no, 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 listen. And we're listening. All of a sudden we can hear like, like it's getting louder and louder and louder. It's becoming so loud. Like I've never heard this loud before. And I look up and I'm like, Oh, I want to get fucked right now. I'm, I'm going to die. Like, this is it. There's no point running. I'm just going to look up and see what happened. Like I want to look at this thing because no matter where I run, this thing is designed to destroy buildings and kill people. So, so your mind is screwed. Like your mind knows you're scared, but your body's like, okay, whatever. So you just look up and you're just like waiting for it. Uh, but it hit like three kilometers away, but it was so loud that you thought like, that's it. It's game over. So, uh, your body adapts and your mind adapts to those traumas really quickly on the spot, which is crazy. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. And then what happened in the end? Oh, well, in the end, um, so it was already like the 40, 40th day of the war, 40th. 30th, 9th day of the war or so. And, uh, we get ordered by the government to evacuate Stepanakert. Um, which was a very, um, surreal thing for us because in Armenia, we were born and raised to think like our army is the best. We, we're undefeated. We won't be able to lose anything. We're, we're holding the lines. And even during the war, you know, the way the government was portraying the war, like we're, we're winning. Yes, we're losing ground, but we're holding them. We're not going to lose the cities. Uh, we're not going to lose sushi. We're not going to lose Stepan. So like we never had this thing of we're going to lose the war. We never had that thought that we're going to lose the war. Yes, we're losing territory, but we're not like going to capitulate. Um, and so when we got the order to evacuate, it was surreal for us. Like we're like, but no, like, why? Like, why do we need to leave? Like, we don't get it, but we were ordered. So, and you know, we can't be like, no, screw you. We're staying. It's a war zone. They, 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 you don't have a say in it. And it was basically, okay, so we need to figure out how we need to evacuate because the road that we used to take is cut off. So we can't take the main road. So we need to go to the opposite end. And the opposite end is also being shelled. And so we had to 
so it was a group of uh, journalists. There was, um, I think there was roughly 12 of us, 12 of us. Uh, and we're like, okay, so we need to plan out our evacuation because the government's not saying how to evacuate. They're like saying, you know, get the fuck out of Dodge. That's, you know, you need to, you need to get out of here. Um, so we opened up the map and we're like looking through the map trying to figure out how do we leave? How do we get out? So we, we said, okay, let's try the northern route first. And if we can't take the northern route, we'll go through the mountains. Uh, so we had like a convoy of three cars, but we had organized it that we keep a 30 meter distance apart from each other and have our phones on the whole time. Uh, sorry, not all the time. Have only one phone on from each car because we knew that the drones track GPS on the phones. And if there's a collection of GPSs, it detects like there's a multiple, there's a concentration. So that means there might be more people in one place. So they'll try to find it. So we had a, a, a rule between the cars, keep a 30 meter distance between each other. So if one of us gets hit by a drone because they're targeting vehicles, um, the other two will not get hurt. And at least one can go back and see if they can save anybody. Like it was that, it was that fucked up, that situation. So we were, and we had one phone per car only and only call whenever something tragic happens um so uh we had to organize this you know uh and we were like we drive not slow we drive like 100 kilometers an hour we just we gun it like we filled up our cars cars with fuel and we we gun it uh so we get to the northern point where we can where there's a where there's a main road that we can take and as soon as we're about to cross the checkpoint, uh, army, army, like an army jeep comes in, pulls and stops us, like, do not attempt to go. They're shooting in this location. Like, you can't pass. And we're like, there's no other road. They're like, you have to take the mountains. And the mountains, there's no roads. It's not a road. It's basically dirt, rocks and shit. And, um, we're like, okay, shit. And so we had to turn around. We had to turn around and drive another like 30 kilometers opposite where we were, we just came from and then turn on right on a bridge, uh, that, that go, leads to the mountain. So we don't really know where this bridge is as well. So we're driving and we see a couple of soldiers, uh, after like maybe like 20 kilometers on there and we ask them, Hey, like, how do we get to this road that leads to the mountain? They go, Oh yeah, just turn right and you'll see a bridge that's been hit. It's like a half blown up bridge. That's where you take a right from. Like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it got hit like two days ago, but you'll be fine. The bridge is solid. We tested it. We're like, okay, fuck, great. So we go, we find the bridge and like half the bridge is blown up and other half is fine. So, and that's the only way out. So you can't be like, okay, let's try something else. No, no, no. That's the only road you got left. So you just have to go for it. And, um, so, and it was my turn to drive. Yeah, because we took turns because it, it is kind of stressful and daunting, especially when you're wearing bulletproof vests and helmets. Uh, it's heavy on you and the whole situation is very tense. So you're driving really fast. You're concentrated. So we, we will rotate, uh, between drivers. So it was my turn to drive. And I was like, okay, great. So I, I, so I go through the bridge. It doesn't collapse and we're going up the mountain and we're just going up and up and up. And the roads are just absolutely like, there's no road. Uh, and you can see on the side of the roads on top of the mountain, like, uh, positions that were, I mean, positions that have been like targeted. So there's like blown up cars, blown up tanks, 
blown up anti anti aircraft uh, battery systems and bases that you can see that have been hit. So it's like, like you know, like you're in the firing line, like you're in, like we were already in the firing lines before, but like when we're trying to evacuate, so you have that little bit of a, like, we're, this is a really fucked up situation. On top of that, you're, you know, you're in the sights of the enemy and you're on a road that's not normal road. So if they hit you or if you try to evade like something or you're going too fast and you fall, that's it. Like there's no way anybody's going to rescue you. So it was a little bit tense. Uh, and yeah, it was, we, it took us, normally it takes you maybe like five, six hours to get out of, of the, of Artsakh to get into Armenia. It took us 17, 18 hours, uh, give or take. And we eventually, we eventually crossed into Armenia, uh, after like 12 hours trying to climb the mountains and going through and passing and leaving. And as soon as we all passed, into Armenia, we all stopped. We all like got out of the cars and we we're all like, fucking finally, we're out. And we all call our family and loved ones. We're like, okay, we're in Armenia, we're good. Cause they weren't crossing, they weren't hitting anything within, within the Armenian sovereign territory. So we knew when we were safe at that point. So we like, we all called and, and I was like, yeah, we're good, we're safe, we're out. And it, and we just got home. And then after, after we got out, um, five days later, um, unfortunately, Armenia capitulated, capitulated, sorry. Uh, and, um, we, which basically means we surrendered, uh, and we, the fighting had halted. We lost, uh, Artsakh lost two thirds, if not more of its territory. And a Russian peacekeeper force was going to be, uh, flown in and to make the peace, which basically means we're giving up and we're, we're asking the Russians to help us and we, we can't basically do anything. Like we're under the, under the Russian, uh, umbrella. So whatever the Russians say is basically that's it. It's their game. And, uh, so yeah, um, so, uh, the city, one of the cities I was telling you about, Shushi, where I told you, like, I thought I was going to be blown up. We lost that city. Uh, that city was, uh, lost to the, to Azerbaijan. Um, but the capital of Artsakh, Stepanagerd, was still, is still within Artsakh territory. It's still within the, uh, uh, within Artsakh, but under the protection of the Russian peacekeepers. And, uh, yeah, so unfortunately, uh, we lost that war. And, um, yeah, a lot of lives were lost. Jesus. That's a very traumatic experience to be in. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Like, uh, you, d- you just have to, um, give in. And accept it and unfortunately like it is what it is i don't even know how to continue from now on i'm like give me some time to digest all of this information <laughs> i know and i knew this but i didn't know all of this in detail yeah i know yeah pretty heavy pretty because heavy. from outside i was living in iran back then right and then the news that we had and the people that were talking about it they were portraying it presenting it in a way that it's not that big of a deal like it's not that hardcore war as you might think but then right now i'm i'm listening to you i'm like fuck no yeah it was crazy because they were bombing schools and like uh like i have footages and videos of like we were in this school uh, that got hit by three three times by a missile and there was a i have a picture on my instagram you'll see uh that 
a door came off its frame, basically, in the school. It's a school. It's not like a military installation. It's not where they're keeping weapons. It's a freaking school. They were targeting schools. Uh, they targeted um, electrical factories. So like we're basically like basic human rights, right? You get electricity, water, food. They were targeting water supplies. Uh, they're targeting food supplies, chains and electricity. So like they were just doing everything they can to like destroy the people, like basically. Right. And, you know, like this war is getting out of hand when they're bombing schools, like school, like there's certain I know that you say like there's there's no rules in war, but like there are some rules in war, like schools are not targets. Churches, schools, hospitals, the hospitals were being like the hospital got bombed. And even it even got bombed during like there's a, a video from Vice News was there talking to a, a doctor. And while he was there, the, the hospital got bombed. So like it wasn't like, oh, yeah, it's a small little. No, they, they were bombing facilities that are not, quote unquote, allowed to be bombed because by international law. Oh, my goodness. And when you came back home, how did you feel after such an experience? Well, I mean, it wasn't easy. It, it wasn't easy at all. Um, but, I mean, relatively from my experiences, my brother-in-law, my my friend, and, you know, Shushan's uh, cousin's husband, they went through worse, worse, worse things than me. And uh, I can't even compare what they were going through uh, and whatever I was feeling, they were feeling like a thousand times more because they were on the front lines. Um, they were fighting. They were there. Um, so, I mean, I'm, everybody was devastated. Everybody was depressed and sad and like just destroyed. You just feel destroyed inside. Like it's hard to explain um, because so many lives were lost. Um, you lost so many people and yeah, and and you lost at the end, you know. Um, I'm if we had won, it would have been a different feeling. Even though if we had lost the same amount, it would have been a different feeling. But we also lost. So as a nation, as a as a people, as individuals, you're just feeling destroyed inside, and you just have to pick up the pieces and try to put it back together because life moves. Life moves on. You know, you you have to move on. You can't you can't just uh, stay destroyed and not do anything with your life. Like you just have to move on with your life because you just have to right uh so everybody was destroyed but we're all moving on we're all like finding our own ways to move on and yeah right like right now i'm doing much better than i was before uh i mean i think you told me dur- right during our meetings after i came like after the whole thing like i was not because you know me I'm a, I'm a i'm a fun easy cracking jokes you know being the wise guy of the group and then i was just quiet I just couldn't do anything, couldn't say anything properly or didn't want to do anything. It was the hard, it was hard, it was the hardest thing for me to go back to work after all that and care about something when I don't care about it. You know, like putting effort to something that I was like, why the fuck do I care about like Mind Valley? Like my whole country is destroyed. Like uh, why, why, why should I care about like, you know, a YouTube video? Like fuck that. You know, like I have bigger fish to fry here. I have more important things to worry about. Uh, you know, but eventually at the end, yeah, we all do our part. We all do what we have to do and move on. And you came back to work. Something good happened in your life, though. Yeah, that. I got married. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I got married. Yeah, one one good thing that did happen after that was I got married. 
Uh, I got married to Shushan, which was, you know, a really great, a really great day. Much needed celebration and joy for everybody in my family. Um, I think it kind of helped everybody as well. Um, even though after we lost, like, the war, um, like I said, we still have to move on. We still, you know, we still have our lives to live. So we can't put everything on hold. And so we decided to get married uh, on the most epic day, April 1st, April Fool's mm-hmm. Day. <laughs> uh, but you yeah. know, that's why and everyone was so confused. We're like, yeah, because right? you were like, oh, yeah, we're getting married. And then we were like, what? When yeah, did this yeah. happen? And then you're like, yeah. April's Fool. Yeah, on April Fool's Day. But it was much needed joy. It was much needed, like a little bit disconnect from every- for everybody as well, um, which was great. Uh, because, you know, we had a really good time with friends and family there. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, we got married and then we decided to come back to Malaysia. Um, after being there for almost a year. No, no, not, not almost a year, like six, seven months we were there. Sorry. And, um, decided to come back well we kind of had to as well because of taxes but <laughs> that's a whole different story uh well yeah we uh we came back and then um and then uh and then i got a job offer uh to go to canada yes. so i'm going to canada and yeah so that's my life that's me <laughs> wow that's such a beautiful story thank you darren first of all tell us where people can find you your instagram handle or whatever platform you want to give out oh wow uh my, i don't know what my instagram ha- my instagram handle has to be i guess my name and last name let me check <laughs> uh, yeah I, it's gonna be if you want to find me it's uh my name and last name dot on it's d-a-r-o-n t-t-z-i-t-i-t-i-z-i-a-n T-I-T-I-Z-I-A-N. you can find me on instagram um uh yeah that's it i guess you can only find me on instagram i'm you can follow me on Facebook, but I don't use Facebook. I'm like, who uses Facebook? Uh, but I don't use Facebook. So if you want, you can follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Shading Facebook right here. <laughs> well, it's funny because Facebook is Instagram. Yeah, right? that's but, true. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't use Facebook that much. I don't even use Instagram that much anymore. I, I do post stories once in a while. You use my but, yeah. Instagram instead of yours. <laughs> I do. I did I did hack your Instagram. <laughs> I did hack it. Well, I didn't hack it. I just took your phone and took a selfie and posted a story saying, who's that? <laughs> Darren, uh, what would be the last thing you would like to leave the people of this podcast with, the listeners of this podcast with? It will have to be that no matter how destroyed you feel, how broken you feel, you can always pick up the pieces. Beautiful. Okay, Darren, go ahead and say your goodbyes, whatever way that you want, and then I'll wrap up the show. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. I hope you really, really enjoyed it. Uh, if you liked my story, you will definitely like my wife's story. So also make sure to listen to her story. And uh, follow Viv. She's doing an amazing job. And thank you so much for everybody. And thank you, Viv, for allowing me to, you know, share my story and have a place to talk about it. Thank you, Darren. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you for supporting. This was yet another episode of If I Did, You Can Too. I am Viv. Until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>